Welcome to the Weekly Sermons Podcast of the United Methodist Church of the Resurrection. We are a church with a vision to be used by God to change lives, strengthen churches, and transform the world. We are on a journey to know, love, and serve God. We pray that this week's sermon blesses you and that you feel God's presence through it today. As we continue in worship, all I can say is, wow, what a week it has been. It has been a week full of all sorts of different kinds of things just flooding our our lives. And, And it's left me saying, like, did that really happen? Was any of that real? Have you ever asked that after the end of a busy week where, where, where you've experienced all sorts of different things and you just didn't really internalize it or, or, or realize that it, it actually happened, like it was real? My guess is that's been your experience this week or it's been your experience in the past. And in Kansas City, my guess is that happened at different points in time uh, starting on Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday, where we all were watching the Kansas City Chiefs play against the Philadelphia Eagles. And there's probably a one point in time, maybe different for everybody who was watching, when you realize that this was real, that this was really happening. There was a turning point that, that happened for you where you recognized that the Chiefs were actually going to win the Super Bowl. And my guess is it happened at a different point in time for you. When did you realize that that was going to happen? When did that become real for you? When was that turning point? Was it when that, uh, the officials threw the flag calling holding on, on the Eagles it, it, it late in the fourth quarter? Or, or did it happen maybe when you saw uh, McKinnon sliding just short of the end zone with seconds left to play? Or, or, or did it happen for you? Did you realize it was happening, uh, the Chiefs were going to win when Butker kicked the game-winning field goal? Or did it happen for you at the Chiefs' Super Bowl parade? My guess is something happened, things became real at, at a certain point in time during that uh, Super Bowl period. And it was probably different for each and every one of you. Because there's a point in time in our life where, where we have a turning point, where we have this moment where things become real for us in a, in a very real kind of way and everything changes on account of it. I was fascinated watching the interviews of all of the players following the Super Bowl. And in each one of them, when they were asked, how does it feel? How, did it, how does it seem now that you've won the Super Bowl? And almost every one of them in a different kind of way said, it hasn't sunk in yet. It doesn't feel real. I can't even believe what just happened. This is what we're going to be focusing on today. We're going to be talking about turning points. We're going to talk about these, these moments in our life where things become real. And, and, and maybe that happened for you during the Super Bowl, but this was also a week where we experienced Valentine's Day, where, where we had men and women with their significant others spending time, quality time with the ones that they love the most. And, and my guess is in your relationships, uh, there came a point in time where things became real for you. You can remember back to that moment when it happened for you, when, when the turning point uh, took place, when you had that moment of everything changing, this is becoming real. And maybe that happened at, at first sight, like in a moment's notice. Maybe that happened uh, when you swiped left or, or clicked like. Maybe that happened when you made the first move or had the first kiss, or, or maybe that happened at the proposal. But at some point in time in your loving relationships, things become real. 
And it's different for everybody. There's that turning point that, that seems to trigger at some point in time where things become real. When did your relationship become real? When did things change uh, forever for you? Maybe it's not romance or football. Maybe it's your career and, and you had a defining moment, one of those turning points in your career where you knew that this is what you were going to do, that, that things became real for you. This was the job you were going to land or, or the product that you're dreaming about was actually going to take root and gain in popularity and, and take off the way that you imagined it might. There's a tipping point, a, a turning point where things become real, even at work for us. And then, of course, we all have been flooded this week looking at the sights and the and the horrific scenes coming out of Turkey and Syria, as we've seen death tolls mounting, at some point in time, that became real for you. When did that happen? When did things change? When did you feel compelled to, to act, to move, to intercede, to offer relief, to pray? Things become real for us at different points in time. No matter if we're talking about sports games or seasons of life or our careers or our romantic relationships or just the atrocities that happen from time to time on account of natural disasters, things become real. We have turning points and, and the same is true for our life of faith. And today is a day that we're going to focus on, on, on tipping points or, or turning points or those moments that things become real. Because today is, is a day that is stuck right in the middle in between Christmas and, and Easter. Today is a day that we're going to focus in on this moment called transfiguration. It's a chance for us to recognize this moment of turning in the midpoint of Mark's gospel as we climb up to a mountaintop set apart with Jesus and his disciples. And my hope is that for all of us gathering together today for worship, this would be a day where we have a real moment, where we experience a turning point in our life of faith, where we know that, that Jesus is real for us and that changes everything about how we live. And so as we dive into this transfiguration story, this, this moment that happens in the middle of the Gospel of Mark, it's important to have some context for the Gospel of Mark to begin with. And as we think about Mark, one of the first things that you need to recognize as you begin to, to move through the pages of that gospel is that Mark moves fast and furiously. Mark is, is a gospel that is focused on the facts and only the fast facts. Uh, Mark has quick paced. It moves as quickly as I speak. And, and you recognize that the moment it begins. As you turn into uh, the, the gospel of Mark, what you'll recognize is that he, he gives you these great stories that move really quickly about power and about presence as Jesus is teaching and, and preaching preaching and healing and, and doing all of his extraordinary things. And, and, he, and he offers a precursor to each one of those things by saying six days later or four days later or two days later or after a little while. And then you hear miracle or healing or powerful story after powerful story with these gaps in between. And it leaves us, the people that are reading the gospel, wondering what happened in all of those in-between times. But, but you can't wonder for long because Mark just keeps on moving with great pace. And, and, and every time I read the Gospel of Mark, I, I think we just have to keep on moving. There's no time to waste because Jesus has a lot to do in a short period of time. And so in every instant, we need to, need to keep on moving. We can't process. We can't reflect. We just got to keep on swimming. Keep on swimming. Just keep swimming. Just, does anybody else listen to Dory like I do? I, I'm living my life with, with, uh, with finding Dory on, on repeat at my home because of my two-year-old daughter named Poppy. That's the gospel of Mark. We just need to keep on swimming. Just keep swimming. We need to keep on moving because Mark moves fast and furious, leaving us no time uh, for us to process or to reflect. That's one of the things that we need to know uh, about the gospel of Mark. And I think it speaks to how it is that we experience life too. Because my guess is our lives feel a lot like Mark reads. 
We just keep on moving through life. We keep on going from activity to activity. We keep on doing uh, activity after activity or thing after thing. And, and rarely do we take time to pause, to reflect, to have set apart time to discern, to pray, to celebrate. You know, I had the privilege of going to the, the Chiefs Super Bowl parade uh, the, earlier this week. And, and you want to know the thing I like the best about it? It wasn't all of the players. It wasn't all of the things. It was the, the, the simple fact that 700,000 people set aside an entire day just to reflect over the past season, to celebrate over the accomplishments that they, they experienced all season long. 700,000 700, people paused just to celebrate, to reflect to consider the bigger picture. Here's a picture of what 700,000 people pausing to reflect looks like. What if this was normal? What if this was a part of our rhythm and we weren't pausing to celebrate sports, but we were pausing to celebrate the accomplishments that we've experienced or the life that we've lived? What if we took moments just to, to pause and to reflect over the life that we're living instead of moving on from one thing to the next? And after a series of years and activities and, and projects and adventures, we wonder, where did everything go? How do, we, how do we lose all of that time? One of the things that Mark doesn't allow for is time to pause or to reflect. We just keep on moving. And, and that's something you need to know about the Gospel of Mark. Another thing that we need to know about the Gospel of Mark is, is, is that it speaks to us in, in ways that, that lead to misunderstanding. And, and as we read through the Gospel of Mark, what we see is the disciples have misunderstanding because we move from these big moments to big moments to big moments. And all of those big moments are accompanied by Jesus' private teaching and instructing and mentoring his disciples. And no matter how much teaching, no matter how much mentoring, how much instructing Jesus does for his disciples, they misunderstand everything. A second thing you need to know about Mark is that a giant theme running all throughout the Gospel of Mark is the disciples' misunderstanding. And there's no better place to see that than in the 8th, 9th, and 10th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. It's the discipleship section. And it's a section that's focused on the disciples' misunderstanding. No matter how hard we try, we, we miss it. We misunderstand Jesus and, and who Jesus is and, and what Jesus is trying to do. And, and you get a sense for that as you read through Mark, the eighth chapter. When we get to the eighth chapter of Mark, what happens is the disciples, they had just witnessed Jesus multiplying and feeding the 4,000s and then the 5,000s. And, and they see this miraculous thing happen two times over where Jesus takes a small amount of bread and multiplies it to feed the multitudes. And moments after those two big experiences of God's power and presence through Jesus at those multiplications, uh, they set sail with Jesus on the sea. And as they get in the boats and, and they push out into sea, what happens is the disciples, they realize they didn't pack enough bread uh, for the journey at hand. And they become so preoccupied by the fact that they don't have enough bread that, that, that they start worrying and, and, and fearing. And, and Jesus has to interrupt them. And as Jesus interrupts them, he's almost upset with them. And this is what he says. He says, do you have eyes and, and fail to see and ears but fail to hear? What Jesus is urging his disciples to recognize is that do you even see who's in the boat with you? Do you remember where we've been? Do you remember what I, I've done? And then he begins to ask them questions about their, their sight and about their memory and about their willingness to actually comprehend what's going on around them. He goes, do you remember, you know, just a few days ago when, when I, I had just a little bit of bread? How much bread did I have then? And they answer five loaves. And, and they said, well, do you remember after we fed all of those thousands of people, how many baskets of leftovers we had? And, and they responded and they answered. And he said, don't you see what's going on? Why are you afraid? Don't you see who I am? Why hasn't this become real for you? 
And what you recognize is that the disciples' misunderstanding, their unwillingness to see Jesus for who he is or their inability to see Jesus for who he is, it hadn't cemented in. It hasn't settled in. It hadn't become real yet. They hadn't had that turning point. They were still afraid. And it gets worse for them as, as the chapters continue. Moments after that happen and that exchange happens, what happens is Jesus, he sets his disciples aside once more after another miracle. And after he sets them aside once more, after another miracle, he begins teaching to them and, and instructing them. And actually what he does is he tells them something. He tells them that he's going to have to go and suffer that there's going to come a time when he's going to be betrayed and when he's going to be uh, shamed and, and, and mocked and, and scored, ultimately killed. And he's not inviting them into a conversation. He, he, he's not inviting them into some sort of debate as to whether or not this needs to happen or, or whether or not this should happen. He's telling them, this is going to happen. I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. But the disciples didn't get it. They didn't understand what he was saying. And so Peter, he begins to, to urge him, says, you don't have to die. This doesn't have to be the way things go. You have all of this power. You have all of this presence. You have the ability to overcome all things. And so, so you can run away from this. You can, you can stop this from happening. It doesn't have to happen that way. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to die. He wasn't getting it. To which end, Jesus, again, with kind of some anger, he responds to Peter. And this is what he says to Peter. He says, uh, he says get behind me, Satan. He said, don't you see, Peter? Can't you see? You're setting your sights, not on divine things, but on, on human things. In other words, you don't have a clue as to who I am or how I work. And after Jesus rebukes Peter and rebukes these disciples, what he does is he then just walks off. He leaves them. For six days, he leaves them. Peter and the other disciples, they were stunned. They were, they were defeated. They were alone. They were wondering, you know, what just happened? They were so confused. And my guess is that's how you feel sometimes. That's how I feel sometimes. You know, when we think we're doing the right thing, when we think we have it all figured out, there's those moments when, when, when we don't understand, where, where we don't see things clearly, where we miss the mark, and we find ourselves left stunned and, and confused. Like, what just happened? I don't get it. This is something we see in the Gospel of Mark, and it, and it speaks to our life in the same way that that pace speaks to our life and how we just move from thing to thing without paying attention to pause and, and to reflect. Have you ever felt that way? Does the Gospel of Mark capture your experience of life in the past or, or maybe even right now? These are the circumstances that I find that I am in multiple times throughout, throughout every year of my life where I find myself moving too quickly or, or trying so hard only to, to misunderstand things or to be left in confusion. These are the circumstances that Jesus meets us in. As the Gospel of Mark continues, the good news is that Jesus doesn't leave us in those places. Jesus doesn't leave us where we are. Jesus comes back to meet us right in the middle of our stuff. And, and that's what happens as you continue reading through the Gospel of Mark. Jesus comes right back to meet the disciples after six days. And, and then he meets them and he doesn't leave them. He meets them and then he leads them on a mountaintop a journey in the midpoint of Mark, in between Easter and Christmas. And what he does is he, he leads them on this adventure that they would never forget the transfiguration. It's a turning point. It's that moment where things would get real for, for the disciples. And my hope is it's a moment where things become real for us. This is what we read in, in the gospel of Mark, beginning in the ninth chapter, verse two. 
Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, led them up a high mount apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who, who were talking with Jesus. And then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice, This is my son, the beloved, listen to him. And suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. Six days later, Jesus meets the disciples and then leads them up this mountain. And they saw something miraculous when they got to the mountaintop. They, they, they saw this thing that's hard to fully comprehend. They, they saw Jesus revealed fully. He was transfigured before them on full display. This is heavenly glory. This is the light of divine majesty. This is, this is purity shining forth in, in a way that we could never even think to ask for or imagine. Mark describes this blinding light that radiates from Jesus's torso. And then out of nowhere, Moses and Elijah, they, they appear beside him on this mountaintop and they begin to, to talk back and forth. And, and the apostle Paul in Romans, he says something. He says, uh, the law and the prophets, they bear witness to the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And, and here on the mountaintop, the, the disciples, they're actually witnessing this happen. They see Moses representing the law and they see Elijah representing the prophets and they're bearing witness to God's righteousness through Jesus. And, and as that's happening, the disciples, they don't know what to do. And so they say, you know, should we build some houses for you? Should we, should we take up residence up here? Because this is amazing and it's terrifying and it's, we just don't know. It's so confusing. And then as they're pondering that, what happens is this cloud envelops them. And as this cloud envelops them, this voice cries out, this is my son, the beloved, listen to him. And then in a flash, it all dissipates. And the disciples see themselves once more in the flesh. No more Moses, no more Elijah, just them and Jesus in this amazing 360-degree panoramic view of the promised land. And it's like they have this otherworldly experience on the top of the mountain. The transfiguration account is amazing. Peter and James and John, they had finally seen what they were unable to see earlier. They finally see Jesus for who he is. They get a sense of and they understand the, the, the bigger picture. And it changed everything for them. Well, maybe not everything for them. Because moments after they, they experience all of this, they, they, they make their way down the mountain. And what Jesus reminds them is that he is still going to have to suffer and die. He, he reminds them that that's not changing. I still have to go and suffer and die. He says to the disciples, he says, I don't want you to tell anybody about this until I have risen from the dead which means he's still going to have to suffer and die, but he doesn't leave it there. Instead, he tells them that he's also going to rise from the grave, which changes everything for the disciples because now they recognize even though things are going to get difficult, even though there's going to be suffering, even though there's going to be pain and, and shame and scorn and death, we have no reason to fear because Easter is coming. Because the worst thing isn't the last thing, that there's nothing that we could experience that would separate us from, from the hope of the risen Christ. And therefore, we can live differently. Our lives are changed forever. There's no reason to fear because Jesus' perfect love casts all things aside. Transfiguration account changed everything for the disciples. And this is what's so beautiful about the transfiguration story. 
is that it points to this picture of change. And, and when we think about transfiguration, we, we think about the Greek word that it comes from, which is metamorphosis. And, and when you hear that word metamorphosis, what you need to be thinking about is something that, that designates a change in shape or approach or reality. But when I think about metamorphosis, you know, the first thing I think about is, is, is caterpillars and, and, and butterflies. You know, that's the first time I ever learned the word metamorphosis. I didn't think about the transfiguration story. I thought about the movement of a caterpillar into this beautiful picture of a, of a butterfly that flies effortlessly through the air. What, what the transfiguration account describes, what metamorphosis is depicting, is the change in, in shape and in, in, in reality that, that Jesus is embodying. He becomes transfigured, like from a caterpillar to a butterfly on the top of that mountain. But the transfiguration story is just as much about Jesus as it is about the change that we experience. You see, when we experience Jesus and, and Jesus becomes real for us, that should change everything about who we are. So metamorphosis should apply to our life as well. We should have a changed reality. We should have a changed experience that, that resembles that change that a caterpillar goes through when the caterpillar becomes a butterfly. I love the transfiguration story because it becomes a turning point in our life just as much as it's a turning point for Jesus on top of that mountain. And the Apostle Paul, he alludes to this kind of change. He, he speaks to it as he, as he writes to the church at Corinth. And this is what he writes to that early Christian community. He says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. We no longer see Jesus from a human point of view. We see him after the transfiguration as divine. He is the resurrection. He is the, the life. He makes all things possible for us. Jesus loves us. He never leaves us. There's no th place that we could ever go that he doesn't already go before us, which means we have no reason to fear which changes everything about who we are. It turns us into butterflies from our caterpillar past. And it should change how we live and it should change how we love. We should become new creations, Paul says, on account of the risen Christ. I love the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. I love the life that he led. And I love the way that he, he understood his faith. It was real for him. And there's this moment where he preaches this sermon on the eve of his assassination, where in the middle of this civil rights movement, he speaks about mountaintops in the middle of everything that he's doing. And in this last speech, this last sermon, Dr. King, he, he preaches these words. This is what he says. I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it doesn't matter to me now because I've been to the mountaintop. And like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we will get there together. And that makes me happy. I'm not worried about anything anymore. I'm not fearing anything anymore because my eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. You know, this is the transfiguration. This is metamorphosis. Dr. King was embodying this story. He was living his life differently, fearlessly, and he was, he was modeling that for everybody who had ears to hear. And, and this is what we're called to do, and this is what we're called to embody every time it is that we pay attention to this story. 
every time it is that we, we consider our faith and, and whether it's real or whether it's sunk in or whether we've had that turning point, everything should change the same way that it did for Dr. King, the same way that it did for the disciples and for the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul, he urges us to understand this, not just in his letter to the church at Corinth, but also in his instruction to the Romans. This is what he says to that community. He says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Don't be conformed, but be transformed. Be altogether different. Live into this metamorphosis. Live into the transfiguration. On account of all that God has given you, become a new creation. As the disciples, they traveled back down that mountain with Jesus. Uh, they were different. They were, they were no longer afraid. They, they weren't confused or stuck or isolated or alone. They, they had finally seen the big picture. They had gained perspective. And that's what Jesus does for us. That's what mountaintops do for us. Have you experienced Jesus in this way? Have you been to the mountaintop lately? You know, one of my favorite things to do is to, is to go hiking and to climb mountains. And it's something I haven't been able to do much as of late, uh, largely because of the, the little kids. But, but it's something I love to do because when you climb to the top of a mountain, what you get to do is you get to see things more clearly. You get greater perspective and, and you have the sense of being free on account of what you see. When you climb to the tops of mountains, you, you get to see the broad contours of creation. You get to see these bold outlines of, of God's majesty. You get to see these, these big things which necessarily make everything else small. You know, the things that we see as big obstacles or as big worries or as big concerns, they become really small when you're looking at the vastness of the world around us. I haven't been able to climb to the top of a mountain as of late, but, but one of the disciplines I've, I've been hearing to and I've adhered to for quite some time now is I like to go and gain perspective in a way that's manageable in my week. So I don't climb the tops of mountains, but instead I get to this place of, of perspective in downtown Kansas City. I go to the Liberty Memorial. And every time I go to the Liberty Memorial, I, I, I do that weekly. I go and I, I look out over the city and I don't see a mountainscape, but instead I see a cityscape. And I get to see that same sense of awe and wonder as I look at this, this wide open space and the broad contours of, of, of my reality of the earth and everything in it. And what I don't see in those moments when I'm standing there as I'm in my place of reflection and discernment on my mountaintop moment set apart from my daily routine is I don't see the things that cause me concern. I don't see the news headlines. I don't see the rising price of eggs. I don't see inflation. I don't see unemployment statistics. I don't see balloons flying high in the sky. I don't see any other distractions that seem to cause me worry or concern or pause that seem to be so big that they paralyze me and they draw me out of my place of wonder. Instead, when I'm looking at those scenes, what I see is, is I see God's creation and everything in it. And I'm a part of that, which means I become small. And my problems, my worries and concerns, they become even smaller. And eventually I find great peace recognizing that I'm a part of God's creation. That God has given life to me and given me the ability to live in this beautiful place, in this world, in this city. And it becomes energizing because I've been given this gift. And I feel all of that when I'm standing looking out with great perspective on the top of a mountain, or at least in this case, on the top of the Liberty Memorial. And I find that that's a place where I generate gratitude and peace on account of God's majesty and divinity. 
as witnessed in that cityscape scene. You know, this past week while I was there, I was trying to get some perspective. I was trying to get some moments where I could gain some peace and, and I could reflect and I could discern and I could, I could ponder who I, I have been and, and who I long for God to make me into. And, and I had just a chance to be there and to sit. And, and you know what happened to me this time? I heard my two-year-old daughter's voice echoing in my ear. She wasn't with me, but she's been singing all month long in the same song that she learned in kids' core. She'd been singing a song that she was taught by, by her children's director. And, and it's a song that she won't allow me to sing, but it's a song that she's been singing on repeat and it was echoing in my ear. And, and as I'm looking at this broad expanse, as I'm, as I'm there pondering and reflecting and having a moment set apart to gain perspective, I hear her singing in my ear. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world in his hands. And I could hear her singing me and singing to me and I, I said, that's exactly right. God's got us in his hands. Jesus longs for us to recognize in him that, that he loves us, that he never leaves us, that he has the power to overcome death, which means there's no place that we can't go where we're not in his hands. And that reality should change us, transfigure us, cause us to live fearlessly and fully into the future that God has for us so that we could become new creations, so that we wouldn't be conformed, but we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds as we understand this reality that Christ makes for us, a reality where we have nothing to fear because God is with us always. And that Easter is coming. The worst thing is never the last thing. It will always lead us toward hope. We have a future filled with hope, so start running and start living fearlessly on account of what you've seen in Christ. This is that turning point in the middle of the gospel of Mark where the disciples recognize it. They have a chance to pause, to reflect, to ponder their life and where they've come from and in their life and where they're going on account of Christ. And, and they had that moment where they can understand fully the big picture because they've been standing on the mountaintop and it changes everything about them. And that's what this weekend is for us. You know, we're not in the midpoint of Mark as we've been reading uh, scripture week to week, but we're in the midpoint of the calendar year where 45 days ago or approximately 45 days ago, we had the opportunity to celebrate Emmanuel, Christmas, the birth of Christ entering in, breaking in, piercing darkness with a great light. And 45 days from now, we're gonna have a chance to move into springtime with the lengthening of days into Easter, the resurrection where, where we, we proclaim this hope of, of life everlasting. And here we are today, right in the middle, in between those two realities, to have a turning point, a time of reflection, a mountaintop moment where we can think about where we've come from and all of our worries, all of our concerns, all of our baggage, all of our stuff that has defined who we are up until this point, where we can also dream about where we're going and the people God is longing for us to become. You know, in a few days, we're going to experience Ash Wednesday, and that becomes the beginning of our Lenten journey. And our Lenten journey is a time for us to prepare. It's a time for us to engage in the rhythms of discipleship and practicing our faith. It's a chance for us to, to recognize how God might be calling us to change our lives so that we might not remain caterpillars, but that we might emerge as, as new creations, as butterflies. This is a time and a season to begin to think about what it is that God is calling you to shed 
to release from your life, to discontinue. It's also a chance for us to think about what it is that we can do, what it is that we can experience, how it is that we can live differently and love unconditionally the way that God first loves us, how we can become new creations living as Easter people, full of hope, resolved to live fully and fearlessly into the future that God has for us. And so my hope is that this day is a day for you to have that mountaintop moment, to reflect over how God is calling you to change. And I don't know what that looks like for you, I don't know what that means for you, but what I'm hoping is that you take steps, that you find next steps on your journey that allows you to transform, to be transfigured, to become new creations. So this week, I'm gonna urge you to go to core.org slash next. And what you're gonna find there are a variety of tools, things that you can do, steps that you can take to become new, You can find on there a link to to participate in our Grow, Pray, and Study Guide, our GPS, where you can engage in daily scripture reading. Maybe God is calling you to to take that step to grow in the knowledge and love of God so that you can increase in your understanding and be inspired to change on account of God's grace. Or maybe you can go to core.org slash next and find a way to get engaged and and to serve, to put your hands to use on account of, of this call that God gave us to love our neighbors, to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly. And so maybe you can find ways to sign up to serve out in the community through Serve Saturday. Or maybe you can sign up to be a partner at one of our partner schools. Or maybe you can go and sign up to, to be on a global impact team going on one of our international uh, serve trips. Or maybe you can go and find ways to serve locally here inside the walls of our church. Maybe now is the time for you to get engaged as a, as a volunteer, as an usher, as a greeter, to take a next step in your life of faith, to, to join in building Christian community. Maybe God is calling you to become a part of the worship team or to be a part of the choir, to, to sing songs of praise to God. Maybe God is calling you to do something. You can find all of those next steps at core.org slash next. Maybe God is calling you simply to take a next step to connect with a pastor, to find a person to walk with you, to lead you, to comfort you no matter what it is that you're facing so that you can find resurrection hope in the midst of life's difficult moments. God is calling all of us to change, to transform, to live differently, to become new creations. And my hope on this Transfiguration Sunday is that you might do that. Let's pray. Gracious God, we pause and we thank you. In the busyness of our life, at the tail end of a very full week, I pray that you'd meet us here, that you give us breath to breathe, space to pause, and an opportunity to reflect over our lives, where we've been, what we've done, everything we carry and how you're calling us to take all of that and to be transformed so that we might live differently on account of your grace, your love that is unfailing to the extent that we might live like you and and love like you and, and be inspired and emboldened to live fully into the future that you have for us one that is full of hope, no matter how difficult things may seem. So guide us as we pray and and discern about our future during this season of Lent. 
and forge from us something beautiful to the extent that together we might change the world to reflect your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon, and we hope you're able to join us next week. To learn more about Church of the Resurrection, visit us online at core.org. That's C-O-R dot O-R-G.